We are back, and you're listening to the Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon, joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. Thank you, Wilmer. RT reports, Turkish opposition bags exit from NATO. Turks increasingly perceive the U.S. as a threat and Russia as a friend. Vice Chair of Vatan Party, Etham Sankak argues. For insight into this, let's turn to our next guest. He hosts the Left is Dead podcast, James Carey. As always, James, welcome back. Always good to be here. Turkeya could leave NATO within months, a politician there has claimed, citing provocations by the U.S.-led military bloc against his nation. Etham Sankak is a Turkish businessman of Arab descent who is active in politics and who local media describes as close to President Erdogan. Your thoughts, how significant, in fact, approach this in two ways. One, how significant of a statement is it? And then two, from a political perspective within Turkish politics, how probable is it? So how significant? I would say it's probably a five out of ten. Um, the patriotic party, the Vayet party that you spoke of, um, has always been closer to Russia. They're more of a, a sort of almost national Bolshevik type of party. They're obviously Turkish nationalists, but they've always been anti-U.S. So they've always made statements like this. Um, the only difference is now, you know, they never really held any positions close to a president or prime minister before this. The only p- difference is now with inside internal Turkish politics is they are closer to Erdogan because um, a lot of the old generals used to belong to the ruling CHP party and people in the military, and they are now in jail. So Turkey had to go recruiting out of other parties for loyalists and people to man bureaucratic positions. Now, significant as far as leaving NATO, I really don't see that happening. I've never seen Erdogan really give any actual push towards leaving NATO. And I think, you know, the party's probably speeding out of turn. And they've always been, you know, the patriotic party's always been like this. Um, The probability is probably incredibly low because the AKP, for all that they are, you know, um, they may paint NATO and the EU out to victimize them often, but they still want the perks of belonging to those uh, organizations that, you know, they'd still like EU ascension, which I don't know how they'll ever achieve, but they definitely love being in NATO and they love buying arms from NATO. They love the license to make NATO arms. So I don't think that um, they're going to be going anywhere. Now the question is, is, is Erdogan and the AKP going to put up with the patriotic party, uh, going around saying we should leave NATO when it's imminent or anything like that. What do you see about the upcoming election? You know, considering the uh, economic problems in Turkey, um, do you think that uh, Erdogan could lose some power? His party could lose some significant seats. How, how, how do you, you know, I mean, certainly there could be a black swan event that we don't know, but uh, all things being considered, if things continue as they are now. I mean, Erdogan could lose some power in parliament, but I don't think he's going to lose to the point where he's not president anymore, where he's not in control. Um, I think in Turkey, you're looking at a situation very reminiscent of, say, Israel with Bibi Netanyahu, right? You have one guy who sort of leads this right-wing party, and then you have these liberal and other right-wingers who try and form coalitions against them. But because their interests are never really fully aligned, uh, they can never manage to actually put up an opposition to them. Now, I've thought for a while the economy is so bad that maybe, maybe somebody can inch up on Erdogan and actually take out the AKP as the majority. 
But I'm not so confident anymore because the opposition seems less unified this time than they did last time around. And we also have an issue where, say, after the local elections, Erdogan just arrested a bunch of uh, Kurdish mayors in the south. So even if somebody does win a seat necessarily and that tips the majority, they could just end up in jail. Um, I don't know how Erdogan ends. I don't know how uh, how democratic this next election is going to appear. Um, maybe he only wins by a couple percentage points. I think he kind of ekes by on maybe fudging the numbers a little bit, but I think that he's going to have a rough time. I think that in reality, the margin should be so much that he would actually lose the election. But again, the opposition is too divided. The CHP ran the place for too long and they were too close to NATO. And as we've talked about before, uh, Turkish opinions on NATO and on the United States and Western countries are kind of changing. And in part, that's because Erdogan has drummed up all this, you know, fear of the Western nations as these people that hate Islam. So it's going to come home to roost. Well, and, and so that takes me to two places. One, understanding how Erdogan play, plays both sides against the middle, and he seems, at, at least up to this point, to have been fairly effective in doing so. Can he use Sankak's rhetoric as leverage against NATO and the United States? And then also with that, uh, you're talking about uh, the, the Muslim issue, right-wing Quran burning in Sweden enrages Turkey and throws a new wrench in Nordic's NATO bid. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that Turkey's, you know, for one, Turkey's going to always sort of try, well, everyone's going to try and play to the center. Um, but I think that he's sort of unleashed a, a bit of a beast here that he can't control, which is, uh, you know, turning sentiment against the United States and against NATO in general. Uh, obviously, the F-35 project was a big problem. And, um, you know, that it was odd for them to be sanctioned over the F-35 for the S-400 purchase, which I think that Erdogan was surprised by. And now he's trying to sort of walk this line where at home he uses the, you know, oh, look at the West is Islamophobic. You want to make sure that there's a strong Islamic leader here because this is the leader of the Islamic world now. But abroad, I mean, he uses this as a sort of a threat. You know, he says, oh, well, you're making people, hey, I mean, how often does Erdogan threaten to release migrants when Germany gets in a tiff with them? So um, the things abroad, you know, this sort of right-wing stuff abroad, it really does play into his hands at home, honestly, if you ask about the election. Trust me, he'll show a video of the Quran burning at one of his rallies coming up. But, um, you know, He's got a great position. He's got a great position. That's why he doesn't want to leave NATO. He has a position where he can demand, say, new members like Finland and Sweden, you know, demand they bow down to his demands, which they essentially did uh, when they started their bid. You know, Finland is now considering, you know, selling arms to Turkey again to try and appease them. And that's always been what he's held with the Western leaders. He goes to the Western leaders and says, look, my people are very unhappy. You could make them happier by basically doing what I want to either let someone in NATO or if you want to get in NATO, you sell me something, you know, and that's been the case a lot of the times. It was the case with the F-35 and the S-400s. I just think he thought, well, my bluff will hold and they'll still give me the F-35. But uh, it clearly it might be working with Finland. They In Sweden, I mean, they seem to be ready to appease him, although obviously they can't stop this sort of free speech stuff. 
the migrant issue, which in America, that's not really talked about or discussed. But I've always felt that's his really maybe the strongest part of his hand, that he could unleash an unthinkable migrant wave at the at the snap of a finger on um, Europe. How many migrants can you, for people who are listeners right now that don't understand those dynamics and may not even know what I'm talking about, explain the, the whole migrant issue and how many people are there and what the potentials are. I'm not sure what the number is up to quite uh, now, but I know that the, at some point there was about 5 million, at least just, you know, Syrian and Middle Eastern migrants in Turkey. And um, obviously we saw this sort of refugee crisis in, what, 2015, 16. Uh, but a lot of Erdogan's deal with the with the EU has been, I will hold back migrants, although obviously there's tips with Greece, but that's more about Greece and Turkey's sort of historic feuds. But there are a lot of refugees from places that the U.S. has sort of destroyed through imperialism uh, that are sitting in Turkey as the sort of gateway to Europe. And Turkey has threatened multiple times, whether it be against Germany, against Greece, against Hungary, whoever. Uh, Turkey has threatened to basically turn their backs as these refugees are allowed to leave, you know, pretend they're not watching. Um, that's a horrible, that it would be a horrible thing for the European center and center left, because obviously right-wing parties really surged in 2015 when this happened. And Erdogan knows that. So he knows the fear of say, throwing a Trump into the machine in a European country can be held over them with all of these uh, refugees that are living inside Turkey. And I mean, some of them he's trying to resettle back in Syria and things like that, but that's not going very well because nobody really likes living under Turkey when they're an Arab or anything else. So um, yeah, that's always been a huge threat. And I think, you know, you could, I don't know that he'll do it, but he theoretically could send a huge wave of refugees into Europe and cause a very rightward swing. Technically he could break up the EU, you know, if he pushed it hard enough. So, I mean, it's really, it's been a cudgel this whole time, but it still is one. And I think, yeah, people here definitely forget. RT reports Finnish foreign minister backtracks on NATO comment. Uh, Pekka Havisto previously proposed that Helsinki may consider joining the military bloc alone if Turkey blocks Sweden's bid. And uh, he now has uh, suggested that He's 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 a uh, backpedaled on this remark, clarifying yesterday that Helsinki's goal of becoming part of the military bloc together with Stockholm remains unchanged. Your thoughts there and with such a lot of discussion about if or when Ukraine loses in this battle with Russia, that that could be the end of NATO. You've got countries trying to, to trying to join a sinking ship. Yeah, I think that Finland, I feel like, will probably, he's probably just sort of saying this to appease, you know, they have a, the Nordic countries are sort of outliers in Europe and they're sort of together with each other. But I think Finland would still try to join just due to historic aggression towards Russia. But, um, you know, it seems like a sinking ship, but at the same time, it's functioning as it should be, isn't it? It's selling arms, right? Even Turkey, uh, Erdogan's son in law sells drones to the Ukrainian military, just as the U.S. and Germany want to send tanks to the Ukrainian military. So um, I don't know that it'll break apart, but I think you're going to see NATO be more of what it actually is, which is just an arms purchaser and reseller. Uh, I think that'll probably be the future for it. I think that's been more clear. It's definitely not, you know, there's no Article 5 or anything like that. We're, oh, we're going to stop an attack on one, it's attack on all or anything like that. So if Finland thinks they're going to get 
I mean, really, realistically, Russia isn't going to invade Finland and Sweden. So right. I don't think they think they're going to get anything else out of it besides more arms contracts, besides being able to sell things to countries like Turkey. And just out of curiosity, you know, we've I've heard some very knowledgeable people say that the result ultimately of the Ukrainian um, conflict will be the fracture of NATO in the long term. That NATO, you know, at some point, the Europeans are looking at this and figuring out that their security concerns don't don't align with the, quote, security concerns of the U.S., and they're just being kind of hung out to dry for the U.S. to try to hold on to their hegemony a little bit longer. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this is the last time that they go along for the ride. You know what I mean? Um, they sort of went along in Iraq and Afghanistan. I don't think they're going to go along for the ride after this one. If the U.S. decides to try to, I don't know, say spark up something with Taiwan, I think a lot of NATO countries are going to be asking how that's their problem. Um, like I said, if it if it goes on existing, it'll be a sort of weapons, it's just a weapons market that sells to each, you know, where each vendor sells to each other over and over. But as far as a military alliance, it, one, it was already outdated, but two, especially after this Ukraine thing, you know, gas prices in Europe skyrocketing, this horrible winter for them. Um, I don't see any reason why, if there's ever another conflict, any other NATO nation that besides maybe uh, England, you know, the UK, I don't think anyone else will jump on board. So I think we're seeing sort of last united front of NATO, and that is because uh, the U.S. happened to kick up a war in Europe's backyard this time, so they actually have to deal with it. But boy, try going to the Middle East or Asia again with a full NATO force. I don't see it happening. That could be the break, you know? James Carey, as always, thank you so much for your time. Greatly, greatly appreciate that analysis, and we look forward to having you back. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Folks, you are listening to The Critical Hour here on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon. I'm joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. There's another hour on the other side. Stay tuned. 